0: Welcome to the serialized audiobook Nocturnal by number 1 New York Times best-selling author Scott Sigler, performed by Phil Giganti. This novel contains adult situations, violence, and is meant for mature audiences. Nocturnal is available in print, ebook, and unabridged ad-free audiobook. For links to purchase any version, visit scottsigler.com/nocturnal. CHAPTER 19 A NEW DAY Brian shut the Buick's door. He looked up at 1969 California Street. The Jessops would have answers, had to have answers, if they didn't. Well then, for their sake, he hoped they knew someone who did. Brian walked to the rusted gate door. He pressed the buzzer. He looked through the diagonal bars to the house's door atop the stairs. Nothing moved. The air felt cool on his face. He reached up, felt the short, neat beard on his cheeks and chin. He'd left Robin in bed, asleep, but he had trimmed his ridiculous tangle before coming out here. He'd left her a fresh pot of coffee and a note on the dining room table I love you. They'd slept through the morning and well into the afternoon. Robin must have needed sleep in a bad way, as she didn't wake up when Brian slid out of bed. That was good. He had to do this alone. No Robin, no Pookie. Those two might try to temper Brian's reactions, but he didn't want anyone to temper anything. Playtime was over. Pookie had left a dozen voicemails, each funnier than the last. There was concern within that humor, but Brian wasn't ready to talk to him yet. John Smith called as well. He'd left a long-ass message that connected a lot of dots about Chief Zhao and Erickson. Brian pressed the buzzer again. He ran his hands along the stylishly rusted gate's half-inch-thick crisscrossing bars. The thing looked like it could hold back a charging rhino. Yeah, the Jessops knew what kind of dangers ran through this city, and they guarded against them. Moments later, the interior door opened. Adam Jessop bounced down the stairs. His silver jewelry and black rocker outfit looked identical to the last time except now he wore a bullet for my Valentine concert t-shirt instead of the one that had read, Killswitch Engage. Not you again, he said with a sneer. You ain't getting in this time without a warrant, cop. You got a warrant? Who did this little fuck think he was? In one whip-snap motion, Brian reached through the bars, grabbed the back of Adam's neck, and yanked him forward, pinning the man's face hard against the rusted iron. If warrant means will I break your fucking neck if you don't open this door, then yeah, I got a warrant. Adam clawed at Brian's hand, so Brian squeezed harder. Adam winced, tried to say something, but he couldn't get a word out. You should open the gate now, Brian said. Then the pain might go away. Adam's hands flailed at the gate's inside handle. Brian heard a click, and the door opened. He pushed Adam away. It seemed like a light push, but Adam flew back to crash into the stone steps. Brian walked inside and closed the gate door behind him. He saw Adam lying there, moaning, hands rubbing his throat. Brian's mind seemed to clear. Had he done that to Adam? He had. And for what? Because he pissed you off. Brian stepped forward and reached out a hand to help Adam up, when the woof of a silenced gun coincided with a shredded white spot appearing in the floor between his feet. Brian froze, moving only enough to look up to the stairs that led into the house. On the top step stood Alder Jessop, who was pointing his cane at Brian's chest. That will be quite enough, Alder said. A thin curl of smoke wafted out of the cane's hollow bottom. A cane gun, Brian said. Seriously? Alder nodded. Just sit down where you are. I've got four more shots in this weapon. Move and I'll kill you. Brian studied the old man. Alder was leaning against the wall. He couldn't even stand without using the cane for help and yet the man's hands looked rock steady, as did the barrel of the cane gun. Brian sat. Alder eased himself down until he sat on the top step. The cane gun now rested on his right knee. Beryl still pointed at Brian. Why are you here? Alder said. Why are you assaulting my grandson? Adam held his lower back with one hand his bleeding nose with the other. Brian shrugged. Sorry about that. I, am. Um, I guess I got a little mad. Alder nodded. Then I would hate to see you when you lose your temper. Again, why are you here? I want answers, Brian said. I want all the answers. I want to know how Jebediah Erickson can do what he does when he's in his 70s. I want to know why he kills Marie's children. I want to know why he tried to kill me. Adam stood, wincing from the pain. Uncle Jeb didn't try to kill you shit for brains. He wouldn't try to kill a cop. Then I guess he just shot me for shits and giggles. Alder's eyes narrowed. He shot you? You must have been with someone else. Who was with you at the time? Other cops, Brian said. But he didn't try to kill them. He wanted me. Alder and Adam exchanged a nervous glance. Adam started slowly backing up the stairs. His arrogant attitude had vanished. I don't believe Uncle Jeb shot you. Show me where. Brian reached to unzip his sweatshirt before he remembered. The bullet wound had already healed. Healed because he was a Zed because he was one of Marie's children. In his morning optimism, flush with the good feeling of finally opening up to Robin, he'd managed to keep that little fact out of his thoughts. He let his hand drop to his lap. Grandpa, Adam said, he's one of the monsters. Kill him now. Brian didn't say anything. He stared at the bullet chip in the floor. He was a monster. He'd lost it with Adam, and for almost no reason. He could have snapped Adam's neck. A part of him had wanted to do just that. Maybe Alder's bullet was the best thing for everyone. Do it, Gramps, Brian said. Pull the trigger! Alder shook his head. I will not. Adam walked up the stairs to his grandfather. Then give me the cane, I'll do it! Shut up, Alder said. But Grandpa, he... Adam, shut your mouth! Adam took a step back and fell silent. Alder lowered the cane. He slowly pushed himself up. He put the end of the cane on the top step and left it there, using it to help him stay standing. Inspector Clauser, you said Erickson tried to kill you. I've never known him to fail. Why didn't he finish the job? Brian again looked at the chip in the floor. Because I stabbed him. Stabbed him? Alder echoed. What exactly did you stab him with? His own knife, Brian said. He looked up. A big silver one. Alder and Adam exchanged glances again. Their expressions hinted at panic. His knife? Adam said. Is he dead? No, not yet anyway. He's in the hospital. Alder shook his head sadly. This is my fault. I just assumed Zhao would handle it. She always has in the past. How could she let this happen? Don't blame her, Brian said, surprised to hear those words come out of his mouth. She tried to stop us. We didn't listen. We couldn't let a vigilante run wild. Alder's face wrinkled in scorn. A vigilante? I can't believe anyone could be that naive. Do you have any idea what we're dealing with? Images of stuffed monsters flashed through Brian's thoughts. He nodded. I saw Erickson's basement. Good, Alder said. You seem smart enough to believe what your eyes show you. Even from the first dream, a part of Brian had known it was all real. The basement only confirmed that. This wouldn't have happened if Zhao and Ericsson, and you, for that matter, hadn't kept this a secret. Alder sighed and shook his head. Ah, clearly I was wrong about you being smart. People need to know. Brian said. We're talking about actual fucking monsters here. Adam spit blood onto the stairs. Uncle Jeb tried telling the truth once, after Zhao tracked his ass down back in the day. He told people all about the monsters, and you know where he wound up? The loony bin. But there's proof, Brian said. All those stuffed creatures in his basement. Alder walked down the stairs. Again, using his cane is just that, a cane. You're missing the obvious, Inspector. You never heard of monsters before this, because the monsters can't be found by the police. They are hunters, so skilled that no one knows they exist, even when they murder their victims or take people away to wherever it is they take them. The only one who can find them, who can stop them, is Erickson. And now, maybe you. The nightmarish ones Erickson stuffed. Maybe the public will believe those are real. Maybe they won't. But believe it or not, those creatures aren't the biggest problem. You saw that some of Erickson's trophies looked like regular people. Brian thought back to the man with the hatchet. Yes, there were a few. Alder reached the bottom step. Stand up. Brian did. The problem is the ones that look like us, Alder said. Ericsson looks like us. You look like us. If you show the world the monsters and show them that some of the monsters look like regular people, what do you think would happen? Brian thought of Robin of her little machine that could quickly and easily test for the Z-chromosome. If people knew that some of the monsters looked like regular people, there would be a campaign to test everyone. And if someone other than Robin tested Brian, found out he was one of them, maybe they find a reason to put me away, he said. Alder nodded. And if that happens, Inspector Clauser, who will be left to find the monsters that can't be found? Who will stop them from killing at will? What if Alder was right? Would anyone trust a man with the Z chromosome? No. Not if they also found out about the creatures. This was all so fucked up. No one would trust his kind, not without a civil rights campaign, education, things that took years if not decades. Ericsson had been locked up once. Because of that, hundreds of people had died. Erickson was still in the hospital. Did that mean Brian was the only one who could find the monsters? Maybe someday soon Brian would let the world know. Robin could help. She could get the scientific community behind it, try to use facts to temper the public's probable reaction. Someday. But today was not that day. Okay, Brian said. You're right. We keep the secret. So what do we do now? Erickson tapped his cane on the floor twice. Click, click. We have to go to the hospital. If Marie's children find out Savior is hurt, they might come after him. You need to help us protect Erickson until he heals. Brian shook his head. I can't go to the hospital. Why? Well, I sort of got fired. Adam rolled his eyes. Well, that's just fucking fantastic. Thank goodness we have you on our side. Such an asset to the team. Alder didn't seem phased by the news. He looked Brian up and down, then turned to his grandson. Adam, I think the time has come for a new savior. Adam stared at his grandfather for a moment, then started laughing. A pig? Grandpa, have you been taking too many meds? There's no way we can... Adam, there isn't any other choice. It has to be Brian. Has to be Brian? What were they talking about? Alder didn't mean... Me? You want me to be a savior? Alder nodded. Except for Jebediah, all the other saviors are dead. This is your destiny. Destiny? Give me a break, man. I've got some messed up genetics and a family that lied to me my whole life. That's tragedy, not destiny. What's next? You going to tell me everything happens for a reason? Alder shook his head. No. I'm going to tell you that if you don't help us, Erickson may die and this city will turn into a hellhole. Brian thought of the shark-toothed man on the embalming table. He'd felt that man's fear in a nightmare, felt the terror at the unforgiving hands of Savior. Ericsson tried to kill me. If I save him, am I going to wind up stuffed in that basement? Alder shook his head. Jebediah reacted on instinct. For so long, he's been the only one hunting Marie's children. But if you join us, Brian, we will have two saviors. You could hunt together. Hunt together. Erickson was his half-brother. So were all the other obscenities. But Ericsson wasn't like them. He was a protector, not a murderer. A harsh reality hit home. Jebediah Erickson might be the only true family Brian could ever have. He shook his head. I don't know. This all sounds crazy. I'm just trying to figure out what to do next. Alder nodded. That's logical. But won't you at least see what we have to offer? I realize the last basement you saw may have been disturbing, but if you're anything like Jebediah... You'll find our basement far more to your liking. Alder and Adam walked deeper into the house. Brian didn't know what else to do, so he followed. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine. erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague ridden world that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Bantwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Chapter 20 The Kingdom. So many babies. The nursery was the final stop on Rex's tour of his new realm. Hillary had been so eager to show him everything. Sly and Pierre came with, of course. Realm. That was a cool word. He'd read about realms in his many fantasy stories, played in them on video games. It was just a cooler word than kingdom. And this really wasn't a kingdom anyway. The tour showed him that. A kingdom was a huge thing sprawling as far as the eye could see. Home wasn't that big, just a collection of the two large caverns, two smaller caverns, thirteen isolated clusters of caves and, of course, tunnels, tunnels and more tunnels. He'd seen the library. It had dehumidifiers to keep the books dry. The kitchen, complete with what was left of Alex, who tasted delicious. The theater. They had an old, giant-sized TV, and a copy of just about every movie Rex had ever heard of, and the armory that held all the guns. Lots of guns. Hillary and Sly told him that there were other tunnel clusters everywhere in the city, but those would have to wait. He had seen the main areas of home, then finished up at the nursery. Dozens of old bassinets, beat-up cribs, and even metal tubs with blankets lined the edges of the small room. Babies of different shapes and colors lay in most of these things. Women, both strange-looking and normal, tended to the babies, cuddled them, took care of them when they cried. So much love. Second-hand toys littered the floor. Giggling little kids also scurried through the room. When they saw Rex, they ran to him. He recognized Vanilla Gorilla, Crabapple Bob, and the other children who had chased Alex down and torn him to pieces. Hands reached to Rex, tugged at his clothes, these children wanted to be picked up and held. Some were too big for that, and at any rate, that probably wasn't kingly behavior. Sly, he said, and that was all he had to say. Sly made fake roaring noises and picked the children up, tossing them lightly away. The children squealed and laughed, but they gave Rex space. Such a happy place, at least on the surface. The more Rex looked around, the more he noticed the bad things. Many of the babies just lay there. Some of them were coughing lightly. Some cried and whimpered. Most of them looked sick. Hilary, what's wrong with them? Hilary reached into a metal tub and gently lifted a yellow-skinned child, who had just one big blue eye in the middle of its face. The eyelid drooped half shut, and the eyes seemed to stare out into nothing. She cradled the child in her arms. Mommy is old, Hilary said. Old even for us. How old is she? Hilary shrugged. I was born in 1864. Mommy was at least fifty when she had me. Hilary was a hundred and fifty years old? Holy shit! Would Rex live that long? Maybe even longer than that, because Mommy was already two hundred years old. Hillary lifted the child and kissed its forehead. Mommy has as many babies as she used to, but the older she gets, the more of them that are born dead. Those who live are often sickly. Most of the children do not make it past their first birthday. Rex again looked around the room taking in the numbers. These babies were his brothers and sisters. How many of them would just die? It was terrible and heartbreaking. It hurt to even think about it. What about doctors? Can't we take them to a hospital? Hillary shrugged as she gently rocked the one-eyed baby. Could we take this one to the hospital? I think not. We do all we can, but even if we had medicine, we wouldn't know which kind to give. This is why I work so hard to bring in a new king, so that the people could spread. If our kind is to survive, we have to spread. Many of these babies would die, and yet firstborn killed baby kings. Why would anyone kill children? Rex wondered if he had made a mistake by sparing Firstborn's life. Maybe. But there was something about that tall man. Something great. There had to be a reason why Firstborn killed babies. Sly, where does Firstborn live? In a room on the Alamandralina, the ship you saw when you first got here. Firstborn has it good. His room is the nicest place in all of home. Take me there, Rex said. If he's not there already, you take Pierre and Fort and whoever else you need and bring him. He doesn't have a choice. Chapter 21 Gear The Jessup's basement had a workbench identical to the one at Erickson's house. Brian looked over the gear. Rig for bow maintenance and repair. Barrel of arrow shafts. Rack of polished arrowheads. A custom gun rack holding four Fabrique Nationale. five sevens and three USAS twelve semi automatic shotguns. It was clearly a backup base of operations for Ericsson, in case anything ever happened to his house. The Jessop's also had several spotless fabricating machines, drills, presses, grinding wheels, and more. One entire wall held a rack of gray plastic pullout bins, each neatly labeled with names of various parts or components. A place for everything and everything in its anal-retentive place. At the back end of the basement sat a fully equipped hospital bed. A wheelchair sat next to it. Like everything else in the basement, both bed and chair gleamed from what had to be a daily cleaning. They also had a heart monitor, an autoclave, a portable x-ray machine, a rack of medical supplies, and some other equipment Brian didn't recognize. He wondered if the stainless steel fridge next to the bed contained supplies of Erickson's blood. You guys into home health care? It's for Jebediah, Alder said. Occasionally he is injured when fighting Marie's children. Had the bear thing in Erickson's basement drawn blood? Maybe taken a pound of flesh? He wondered what happened if Erickson slash savior was wounded in the field. Who would bail him out? You guys ever help Erickson go after Marie's children? Alder shrugged. Sometimes he asks for our assistance. Brian looked at the Jessops for what they were. An old man who could barely walk and a scrawny loudmouth. He made a mental note that if he did become a monster hunter, as ridiculous as that sounded, he'd find a more reliable backup than these two. Alder seemed to sag a little. He walked to a chair and slowly sat. Adam ran to him. Grandpa, you okay? The old man nodded. I'm fine. I just need to rest for a second. Adam, give Brian what he needs. Adam nodded. His snotty attitude seemed to vanish as he pulled two flat black 5.7s out of the rack and set them down on the workshop table. Brian picked one up, feeling the weight. He ejected the 20 round magazine and saw that the bullets were tipped in black. The rounds were armor piercing SS 190s. These are illegal, Brian said. Uh Uh-oh, Adam said. He held out his wrists. Better slap the cuffs on me. Oh, wait, you sort of got fired. He walked to a bin and pulled out a rolled-up canvas rig. Try this on, he said, and tossed it to Brian. Brian unfolded it. The rig held two holsters at the small of the back, three loaded magazines on the left shoulder strap, another three on the right. He unzipped his sweatshirt and set it on the workbench, then slid his arms through the rig's shoulder straps and fastened the belt around his waist. Brian picked up the five-sevens, reached behind his back and slid them into the holsters. The guns clicked home, the barrels pointing down toward his ass and the handles pointing out to his sides. He imagined they looked like a steel butterfly back there. He held his hands in front of him, then whipped them to the small of his back, grabbed the handles and drew. The guns came out smooth and clean. He repeated the action three times. So natural. So intuitive. He holstered them again. What about a knife, like Erickson had? Adam pulled a box out of a bin and handed it over. Brian opened it to find a flat black K-bar knife. The edge gleamed with sharpness, but the flat of the blade also had a strange shimmer. Brian ran his finger along the flat, wiping off a streak of gel. Don't do that, Alder said. Why? Brian said. But even as he said it, he felt his fingertips start to burn. Alder sighed. Because it's poisonous to you, that's why. Adam handed Brian a rag. Brian quickly rubbed off the burning material. We found paste on Erickson's arrowhead. Is this the same stuff? How does it work? Adam nodded. In case you haven't figured it out yet, Marie's children heal very quickly. Uncle Jeb says they can heal up from just about anything shy of a disembowelment or decapitation. The silver paste blocks that ability, meaning a wound that would be fatal to a normal man is also fatal to them. Brian fastened the knife through his belt to hang on his left hip. So why the arrows and the knives and shit? Why not just make the bullets out of the material? The specific material won't form a solid, Adam said. As a paste, it sticks to the damaged tissue. If it's liquid or even a powder, the monster systems just move it along and they heal up. The paste would just burn off of a bullet in flight. Bullets also have a nasty habit of going through a body, not lodging in place. The best way to kill these bastards is to stick them with something that has the paste on it and make sure that something stays stuck. That's why we make the broadheads the way we do. Brian drew the knife. Does this stick? Does if you hold it in, Adam said. Shove it in and stay there for a while, which isn't as naughty as it sounds. Brian put the knife back in the sheath. So why is Erickson still in the hospital? Alder stood, grunting a little as he rose to his feet. Because he's like me, he's old. He's not healing as fast as he used to. You must have hit him in a vital spot. His body is healing, but the paste slows it. Let that be a valuable lesson to you, Inspector. If you want to kill one of them, it's best if you stab them in the heart, not the belly. Or the brain, Adam said. Or cut off their heads, that'll work. Brian realized he might have to bury that blade in the chest of a bear thing, or maybe even a little girl holding a fork and a knife. How'd you guys come up with a paste? Alder laughed. Oh, for that part, we are merely cooks reading from a recipe. The formula originated in Europe several centuries ago. There was a time when these creatures were more plentiful. Alchemists, and then eventually chemists after them, had many subjects upon which to experiment. Experiments? Alder nodded. Monsters were cut up very slowly. Alchemists experimented with different mixtures, slowly testing them on their subjects. Sometimes the creatures stayed alive for months. The researchers finally found a compound that worked, and it has been used ever since. But we can talk about that some other time. Adam, show Brian the greatest prize of them all. Adam walked to a metal case set against the wall. He set the case on the workbench, opened it and pulled out a beautiful bow made of steel and wood. He offered the bow to Brian. Brian didn't take it. He looked at it, then looked up at Adam. What am I supposed to do with this? Shoot it, stupid. I don't know how to shoot a bow. I've never shot one in my life. Alder seemed stunned. Adam started laughing. He set the bow back in the case. <laughs> What did you think, Grandpa, that he'd just be a natural? I thought, well, yes, Alder said. It never crossed my mind he wouldn't know how to shoot. Brian reached out and ran his fingertips along the bow. He had to admit that it was a beautiful, elegant weapon. Maybe I'll work my way up to that. Got anything else that would give me a little range? Adam pointed to a drawer. Stun grenades? In a hospital? Brian said. I don't think so. Adam nodded. He walked to another drawer and pulled out a contraption of straps, buckles, and a lethal-looking blade packed in on top of a compressed metal coil. Spring-loaded knife, he said as he handed it over. Six-inch titanium blade that will arrive at its destination with an agenda and a bad attitude. And before you try to test the edge, genius, the answer is, yeah, it's poisoned. Brian strapped it underneath his left forearm. Adams showed him the mechanism. A rapid wrist flick up would fire the heavy blade. Alder tapped his cane twice on the floor. And now for the pièce de résistance. He walked to a cabinet. With great dramatic flair, he opened the cabinet and pulled out a green cloak. He held it forward, a proud smile playing at the corners of his mouth. Inspector Brian Clauser. This cloak is the mark of the saviors. We are asking you to embrace this role, to become one of us. Brian stared at the cloak. I'm going into a hospital, he said. I don't think Sherwood Forest is on the way. Adam started laughing again. He covered his face with his hands, as if to say, Oh, man, you stepped in at this time. Alder's face screwed up into a mask of contempt. A half hour ago, Inspector, I could have shot you as a monster. Now you are a savior, and you won't wear the cloak? Just who in the hell do you think you are? Brian tried not to laugh, but he made the mistake of looking at Adam, who still had his face in his hands and was shaking his head. Despite the mutant chromosome, the killing dreams, A ruined career and a trail of corpses. Brian couldn't suppress a smirk as the situation's absurdity caught up with him. This old man not only wanted to dress Brian up like a superhero, but he couldn't fathom that Brian wasn't oh so excited about the idea. Alder held the cloak up again, as if Brian hadn't really seen it the first time. But it's bulletproof. Brian tried to squeeze back the laughter but he couldn't. Um, (coughs) can I heal real fast? Of course, Alder said. But healing won't put your liver back in your body if they shoot it out of you. Brian stopped laughing. The monsters use guns. Of course they use guns, Alder said. Guns work. They're monsters, not idiots. So they could claw him, bite him, And they could put a couple of rounds in him as well. As Pookie would say, awesome. Still, though, the cloak was too damn conspicuous. As far as I know, Chief Zhao is going to throw me in jail the second she sees me, Brian said. So I'll stick to my usual clothes. Adam took the cloak from his mystified grandfather and hung it back up in the cabinet. If you change your mind, cop, I've got some other stuff you could try. He shut the door. Alder huffed. "Ah, Adam, he is not going to wear that ridiculous outfit you came up with. We have tradition. The disrespect of today's youth, I swear. He turned back to Brian. And don't you worry about Amy Zhao. I'll handle her. We'd best get to the hospital. The old man was right. If Brian wanted to help Erickson... He couldn't do it from the Jessup's basement. Like it or not, Jebediah Erickson was Brian's brother. He was family, something that Brian wanted desperately. Okay, Brian said, let's do it. Am I driving or do you guys have a car? Adam started laughing again. You have been listening to Nocturnal by Scott Sigler. Performed by Phil Giganti. Produced by Empty Set Entertainment. The Nocturnal audiobook was directed and engineered by Corey Young. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it.